Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program. Our program is entitled Messianic Teachings for Christians. This is a series of teachings where we've been going through showing what Messianics believe and what we teach versus what is Christians and what they understand. And part of the program is intended to help Christians to understand what Messianics believe and to affirm the faith of the Messianic believers, help Christians to understand it. And in the last couple of episodes, we've been dealing with some of the controversy associated with this teaching because Christian leaders don't agree with things that I've been sharing with you, whether it be how we regard the commandments of God, the law of Moses, did Jesus come to fulfill it, make it go away, about Sabbath, about keeping kosher, about the biblical holidays and festivals, about all of the different things that we as Messianics do that are different than what your Sunday go to church folks are going to be. And so I have selected a couple of, I think, qualified Christian teachers, both of them are PhDs. I did an article on asking about what this Hebrew Roots movement is all about. I did a review in some of their comments, but I also got a book written here called Messianic Judaism, trying to explain Messianic teaching and to take issue with it, to explain why the Christian teaching is superior and correct, and the teaching that I'm offering to you is incorrect. Now, in the last episode, I went through some of the detailed explanations and logic that this teacher offers, and I've tried to show you he's saying the opposite of what Scripture says. He's literally saying to you, don't obey the Lord. And while he's not quite grasping, I think, you know, the weight of what he has said and done, I'm trying to make sure that's clear to you. Yeshua himself said, if any man comes and teaches you so as to annul the least of these commandments, he shall be least in the kingdom. It's pretty clear that Yeshua thought that the teaching of the law and the prophets was something that was supposed to be done into the future. Yet this man says that Yeshua came to change and transform the law and completely change it. I submit to you, this guy's statement about what the Messiah came is false. I submit to you that the Messiah came to do the will of his Father and that he and the Father are one, and that he came to do the great work of redemption and to save us, which was the plan from the very beginning. And if you look at the temptation that the devil used on Eve, has God really said? And trying to distort what God had commanded them to do, this man and other teachers like him are doing exactly what the devil did in the garden. Now, I would hope that this audience that's listening to me, you would have the wisdom to understand that you're not supposed to be following the suggestions or the teaching that comes from the devil, that you would be believing that these are the words of life. This is what God has said. That leads to life. You get contrary to this word, that's what leads to death. This is light, that's darkness. I think we, we understand those things, but we have to kind of sometimes get back to the basics again 
to make sure we understand what is the argument, what are we saying, what's the implications of what we're saying. Now, there's one more very important area that this gentleman comes up with, and that is a major difference between messianics and where the church and churchmen are at. And it has to do with eschatology. And it has to do with the study of last things. And the way he approaches this is he addresses some of the teaching that Paul gave us in the book of Romans. In particular, he focuses in on a very controversial part of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9 through 11. Because Romans chapter 9 through 11 is talking about how Israel fits in the faith and how the Gentiles fit in the faith and how we're there together. But you see, that's not consistent with the church line. The church line says that Israel was here and the Messiah came and he stopped dealing with Israel and now he's dealing with the church. In its worst form, it's called replacement theology. And at least most evangelicals have rejected that theology. That is consistent theology for all mainstream Christianity. The big denominations, the Catholics and so forth, they believe in replacement theology. They believe the church has replaced Israel for what God is doing with mankind. Well, evangelicals and dispensationalists, they know that wasn't quite right, so they kind of backed off of it. But they're still struggling with how do we understand God's great plan particularly about how to deal with the people of Israel and how to deal with the Gentile world. Now, it's clear, and I've shared this with you, it was God's intent from the very beginning when he started working with Israel that it was be for the purpose of the whole world. It was never made to be exclusive for Israel. It has always been the plan. Now, there historically, there are some Jews religious Jews who came along after the Babylonian exile, and they decided, no, we want to have this thing with the God of Israel strictly for us Jews. And they set up a middle wall of partition, a dividing wall in the temple complex, never authorized by Moses or the prophets. They set that up and they told the Gentiles, you can come up to this wall, but you can't come in. And in the days of Yeshua, when he came, that was the common thing. The Gentiles would come to worship the God of Israel, but they were stopped at that wall. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, Paul tries to explain that one of the things the Messiah came to do when he came to save all of us was to tear down that middle wall of partition, to tear down that dividing wall so that all people can come before God in his temple. That was the original plan. That's not a new plan. That's the original plan. It may be the new covenant, but that's still the original plan from the other covenants. But this guy wants to tell you, no, that's a completely new thing. That's what the Messiah is doing. And the old has gone away. Well, when you take that posture and that position, something strange happens. Okay, well, if that's what God did and that's where we're at right now, I wonder what God has planned for us in the future. But you see, there's too many references in the Bible about how God says he's going to be dealing with Israel in the future. Now, I thought Israel went away. 
oh, well, if you're dispensationalist, then you say, well, he did, they did go away for a while, but now we're going to switch and God will come back and work with Israel again after he's done working with the church. And the dividing line where they claim that is that most of them say, you know, when the church gets raptured out, we come to the end of the age, we have the second coming, the church gets raptured out, gets to go be with the Lord. Now God will start dealing with Israel again in the time frame called the Great Tribulation. So there's a very popular teaching in the Christian world that God is going to come back and rapture out the Christians so they won't be on the earth during this bad stuff called the Great Tribulation. And oh, by the way, there's a couple of theories about the timing. There's a lot of folks, we call them pre-tribulationists. They believe that God will come rapture the church out, the believers out, even before the tribulation, even before they think are last seven years of tribulation. There's some that say, no, actually he's going to come at the middle point. There's three and a half years of peace, and then he's going to rapture us all out before the great tribulation. That's the bad part, and that's how we'll get out of here and then God will deal with the Jews. Then there's another group that says, no, we're going to go through the whole tribulation, and then we all get raptured and resurrected out at the end of it, you know, to be part of the kingdom. And then there's another group that says, none of that is true. There is no millennial kingdom. There is no kingdom. God's just going to pick a moment. It'll all be over with, and we're going to move on. And everything else we got in the Bible, it's just metaphor and just was an explanation. The Bible doesn't talk about those things. Now, this is going to be shocking to you. If you're a Christian, i got some news for you. You see, the Bible and Messianic teaching says, wait a minute, there's some things that we got told way back a long time ago. Way back when Israel was coming out of Egypt. You know, the Exodus from Egypt. And we got told that the things that were happening then is actually a prophecy of what will be happening at the end. Wow, what is the prophecy? What in the world happened in the Egyptian Exodus that's supposed to happen at the end? Well, it has to do with when Israel went into the Promised Land, Israel didn't obey the Lord. And Moses and the prophets warned Israel and said, if you continue to disobey, God will get upset with you and he will kick you out of the land, the promised land, and he'll scatter you in the nations. And you'll be subject to those nations instead of enjoying the promised land with the Lord. And historically, that happened. We all know it. The northern tribes of Israel, called the house of Israel, broke away from the house of Judah disobeyed the Lord, and God allowed the Assyrians to come down, conquer them, and take them captive. And they were scattered all over the world. And then God had warned the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, the same thing was going to happen to them. And sure enough, the Babylonians came, captured them, and took a whole bunch of them captive back to Babylon. And then there came a time when Jeremiah had prophesied that they'll only be there for 70 years. And at the end of the 70 years, here comes the remnant of Judah back from captivity. They're now 
back in the land again, and we have Israel, Jerusalem, and Judea happening in time for the Messiah. But the prophets had also told the house of Judah, if you continue to misbehave, you too will be scattered into all the nations of the world, just like the house of Israel had. And we saw that historically. In 70 AD, the Romans came and besieged Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. In 160 AD, we had the Bar Kokhba revolution in which the million Jews were slaughtered by the Romans and the rest were taken captive and scattered throughout the nations. And up till 1948 in the modern era, we saw God's word was true. Israel got scattered into all of the nations. But here's the interesting part. The prophecy that I'm talking about, the Exodus, said there's a day coming at the end in which God will regather his people scattered in all of the nations and bring them back to the land. That this story of Israel, the story that originates when they first come out of Egypt, is going to have a repeat of being brought back from all of the nations. I want to read a couple of quick passages of scriptures so that you understand what I'm saying here is exactly what this book says. Let me take you first to what Moses had to say about this. And if you will, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're at the conclusion of the law of Moses. We're at the conclusion of the writing of Moses. And he's going to speak into the future of Israel, knowing they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And he basically says the following about them being scattered in all the nations. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning at verse 1. So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. We're talking about the worldwide exile of Israel, which is a historical fact. He says, there's a day coming at the end when you're going to be in those nations, and you're going to recall what I said here. In verse 2, and it says, And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. In other words, there's going to come a time when we're going to remember all that Moses taught us, all the commands, the whole law of Moses. There's going to day come at the end of the ages, after Israel's been scattered in all the nations, you're going to return to the Lord and you're going to follow exactly what I, Moses, gave you as instructions. Verse 3, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity, have compassion on you, will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the end of the earth, from there the Lord will gather you. And from there he will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will uh, prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in order that you may live. There's Moses describing what's supposed to happen to Israel at the end of the ages. When Israel has been scattered everywhere. Now, 
in the course of our lives and the generation we have, we've seen something rather interesting. We have seen the Jewish people, the house of Judah, the Bible refers to, they have made it back to the land of Israel. After the captivity, they have come back. As a result of the Holocaust, the nation of Israel was born out. People came from all over the different nations, Jews from all over the different nations. They've been scattered. They have come back to the land and they've reestablished the modern state of Israel. By the way, the prophecy said the house of Judah will be brought back first. And then it said, according to Ezekiel 37, the house of Ephraim, the northern kingdom, will be brought back and join with them. That's pretty simple, pretty straightforward stuff. The prophecies right there. Those prophecies have not gone away. I don't care which Christian tells you the law is no more. Those prophecies still remain to this day. Have you ever heard the church tell you about these prophecies? No. I was in the church for years. I was a preacher. I never heard a single person, all those paperback books about end time prophecy. I never heard anybody ever talk about this. You've been lied to. You've been told something else about what's supposed to be coming. Do you realize how dangerous this is for you if you have the wrong understanding about what's supposed to happen at the end of the age? Because God's coming back to do some big things. And if you don't know what God is doing and what he's trying to do, you may find yourself in great conflict with him. Let's go a little further. Let me show you what the prophet Jeremiah said. By the way, the prophet Jeremiah is the one who gave us the new covenant. Remember that? The prophecies of the new covenant. Let me show you, let me take you to Jeremiah chapter 16. Because he's going to talk about this same subject that we're talking about now. He's going to be talking about something that's going to happen that you don't hear the church talking about. In Jeremiah chapter 16, beginning of verse 14, he says the following. Therefore, behold, days are coming. That's referring to the last days. That's referring to the end of days. Declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Have you heard that? Have you heard the testimony about how the Lord brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm sure you've heard that story. You've heard that testimony. He says, but the day is coming when we say the word Exodus, we won't be referring to that. We won't be referring to the ancient Exodus of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. He goes on to say this, verse 15, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all of the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. That's what Moses was talking about that God was one day going to gather up Israel from all the nations where they've been scattered from different lands other than Egypt and be bringing them back to the land, restoring Israel back to the land that was promised to them. Now, we refer to this teaching as the greater exodus. God had an Egyptian exodus. It's a historical exodus. But God has a big plan for Israel 
that is called the greater exodus. It's when God gathers up all the people from all the different nations and brings them back to the land. It's quite an event. If you stop and think about it, it's going to be huge. It's going to grip everybody in the world. Let me take you to Jeremiah 23, which he's going to be repeating this same thing that he's been talking about. Jeremiah 23, verse 3. Then I myself shall gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and shall bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. And I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them. And they will not be afraid any longer, nor will they be terrified, nor any be missing. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel will dwell so clearly. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. You know what this is? This is a prophecy that says the Messiah is the one who's going to be leading this greater exodus. Now, Moses was the guy that came out of ancient Egypt. But now Jeremiah is saying, no, I'm going to raise up a shepherd, a great shepherd, who's going to gather from all the nations. And he's talking about the Messiah. He goes on to say, verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they no longer will say, as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land and from all of the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their own land. That is the end time scenario for Israel at the end of the ages. And what does he say about the Gentiles? What does this book say about the Gentiles? You know what it says? It says the Gentiles that believe in the Messiah, they're part of Israel. Paul tells you're part of the commonwealth of Israel. In fact, if you will, turn with me now to Romans chapter 9. This guy is going to try to tell you what Romans chapter 9 and 10 and 11 is about. And he's very confused about what it means. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not. You probably don't. That most Christians, teachers, when they teach the book of Romans, they don't like Romans 9, 10, and 11. And there are some commentaries that are written on the book of Romans. They don't even touch those chapters. Did you know those are highly controversial chapters in Christian teaching? They're scared to death of them. You want to know why? Because Paul is talking about the same stuff that Moses and the prophet Jeremiah were talking about. And it doesn't line up with what the church thinks is supposed to happen at the end of the age. Don't you all know Jesus came, we have the church now, we're all humming around here doing the church thing, and we're waiting for that moment when suddenly he appears in the clouds, boom, we're out of here, we get raptured, and there's a great tribulation, day of the Lord, and then we're all in charge of the world afterwards. That's what you get taught as a Christian. That does not line up with what the Bible says. 
That's not what Moses said. That's not what Yeshua said. That's not what the apostles said. So let's go to Romans chapter 9. Let's see what Paul has to say. So Paul, the first thing he wants to do, and he's talking to, let's go ahead and say it. He's talking to some Gentile believers. The truth of the matter is that when Paul wrote this book, he was talking to Jews in Rome. Let me repeat that for you. When he wrote this book, he was talking to and teaching Jews that were in Rome. These are Jewish arguments for them. It's trying to take the Jewish people that were in Rome and trying to explain what God did through the Messiah and what God was going to be doing with Israel in the future. I know a lot of Christian teachers like to, oh, no, he was talking to the Romans, the Gentiles. You know, Romans, they're Gentiles. No, he was actually talking to people from Israel when he wrote these arguments. Let me read now for you a little bit of what Paul has to say in Romans chapter 9. I'm telling the truth in the Messiah. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from the Messiah for the sake of my brethren, for my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's talking about, he's an Israelite. He wishes all of his Israelite brethren could be part of the kingdom, but he knows they're not. And he's identifying with those of Israel that are not yet coming over to the Messiah. He's trying to figure out a way. How can we share it with them? Now, he's going to define what Israel before God has, what God has given to Israel, what Israel has and belongs to them. Verse 4, who are Israelites? To whom belongs the adoption as sons? It was God's intent that Israel, all of Israel, would believe in him. He established the nation. He called the whole nation. And he said, I want all of you to believe me, make a covenant with me, the whole nation. I want everybody to be a part of it. That's, the, that's who he intended to do. He wanted to make them all of his sons. And he says, also that belongs to Israel, the glory. Whoa. The glory? That belongs to Israel. The glory of God belongs to Israel. This is Paul in the New Testament saying, that's what Israel has. The covenants. You remember me telling you there's not an old covenant and a new covenant. There's actually seven covenants. Paul's referring to all of the previous covenants. You know, the one from Adam, the one with Noah, the one with Abraham, the one with Moses and the children of Israel, the one with King David, and the new covenant. The covenants, they all belong to Israel. In fact, the new covenant specifically says it's given to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It was never given to something called the church. It was given to Israel, and he's listing it, what belongs to Israel. And the giving of the law. Now, we all know about that one. Yeah, we want Israel to have that one. And the temple service. That's right. God gave them the tabernacle in the wilderness, the temple in Jerusalem. They all belong to Israel. Are you ready for this? 
and the promises that God has made concerning all of Israel. The promises that he made to Abraham, the promises he made to Jacob, the promises he made to Moses and the children of Israel, they all belong to Israel. Whose are the fathers? We're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from whom is the Messiah? Did you know that the Messiah belongs to Israel? That's what Paul says here. Messiah doesn't belong to the church. Messiah belongs to Israel. He's the king of Israel. He does not dismiss his kingdom. He's trying to support and lead his kingdom. And we have a bunch of his servants running around saying he really doesn't have that kingdom anymore. What a bunch of nonsense. This is the apostle Paul. Do you understand why this is so perplexing to Christians when they read this? Well, this doesn't line up with Jesus being in charge of the church and dismissing Israel. But then he goes on a little bit further, verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. He's talking about not all Israel believes. It's not because what God has said has failed. If there's anybody that's failing, it's men. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Okay? We got a lot of people involved in Israel. But you know what, guys? I know it's going to come as a shock, but not everybody in Israel believes in the God of Israel. This is America built on Christian values. Not everybody in America believes in Jesus. Not everybody in America believes in God. And whatever nation you want to go. So we got this believers and unbelievers problem that's going on in the world. And Israel had that same problem, and God's been dealing with it. And he then proceeds, this is Paul now, and he proceeds to explain, okay, well, let me explain what really is kind of going on here. And he's saying that God is sovereign, and what God has said is true and correct. And he goes on, he says, verse 8, that is not, it's not the children of flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise who are regarded as descendants. When you believe the promise that God sent his son and his promise that if you repent and receive him, you'll receive the gift of eternal life. When you believe that promise, that's called faith. Faith is believing in the promises of God. And so he's saying, it's the children of promise that God is working with, not the children of the flesh. And so when we come to faith, we believe the promises of God. We cease to be the children of flesh in the world. So we're following God because of his promises. And he illustrates how these promises work. He goes through the rest of chapter 9 with regard to that. And he gets down to, you're going to love this part, he gets down to verse 24, chapter 9. Even so, whom he is called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. He's going through and he's saying, all these promises were given to Israel, and they're all still in effect. But then he says, wait a minute, we're not excluding the Gentiles. Did you see that? Not from among the Jews, but also from among the Gentiles. And he quotes the prophets saying the Gentiles were going to be included. In fact, he quotes from Hosea 
verse 25, he says, I will call those who are not my people and her who was not beloved, beloved, that it shall be in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Every person who accepts Yeshua as the Messiah is referred to as a son of the living God. And there's a lot of Gentiles who have believed in the Messiah and they have received that, they've become that. Guess what? They're included with the Jewish believer. They're included with all the promises of Israel. This is what this book is saying. Look at what he says, verse 27. He's gonna quote, and Isaiah calls out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel may be as the sand and sea, it is a remnant that will be saved for the Lord will execute his word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. God has always been working with a remnant. There's always been in every generation, certain members of Israel that were still in the flesh that weren't believing the promises of God. And it's the people who believe in the promises of God. That's the remnant. That's the real Israel that God is working with. And by the way, if you're a Gentile and you believe in those promises of God, guess what? You get to be part of Israel. You are part of the remnant. You are joined in. He goes a little bit further. And finally, he comes to the point where he characterizes all of this as we've got this one tree called Israel. And we have these natural branches. Those are the native born. Those are the people of Israel. And then we have these wild branches. And these wild branches are a bunch of Gentiles. They come from other nations. And guess what God has done? He has made a way to graft in the wild branches of the believers from other nations and hook them into the same tree called Israel. Now, does that sound, this is Paul, does that sound like God came up with a plan to dismiss Israel and establish the church? Do you see why this is a perplexing set of chapters for churchmen? Because it's saying the opposite of what they've been saying. The opposite. It says that you Gentiles, when you decide to turn to the Lord, and you choose to follow his promises, believe his promises, and oh, by the way, obey his commandments, you become part of Israel. Paul says, you're the remnant. You know, you're the remnant of Israel. You're the children of promise. It has nothing to do with biological being born of a certain DNA. It has to do with the words of God being life. Not this physical life, that real life is the words of God in your life. That's the real life. And he says, that's how we all come together. That's how we're all there together. Now, it's going to get a little bit into eschatology here when we get into chapter 11, because he's going to say something very profound about what's supposed to happen to all of us. You know, all of us that are part of Israel, that this is what's supposed to be happening to us at the end. Verse 25, chapter 11. This is a fascinating, Paul does this expression a couple of times. He says, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. Every time Paul says that, it means that most people are uninformed. 
And oh my goodness, is the church uninformed of what is about to be said. He says, I want you to understand this mystery. Lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Okay, so we have Israel that God's been working with beginning all the way back from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have Israel that God's been working with Moses and the kings and the prophets in Israel, the land of Israel. And we've had him working with Israel that got scattered into the nations, the different captivities. And to this day, he's still working with Israel. Now, at this particular moment, since some of us are still scattered, we're still subject to some of the punishment and judgment that God put upon us because he said he would punish us by kicking us out of the promised land. He wouldn't give us the benefit of it. We would have to live in the lands of our enemies and suffer under those conditions because we didn't want to obey the Lord. And he said, well, you're not going to live in my land if you're not going to obey me. And so we're still in that state where there's still some of us still scattered. By the way, I am in Oklahoma at the moment. And when Moses was talking about from the strangest and most distant places of the earth, he was referring to Oklahoma. There, do you know more distant place for a Jewish believer to be in the earth away from the promised land? The promised land is on the opposite side of the globe from me. From here, he said, I'll bring you. And I'm here to testify to you, brethren, that his promises are true. They're not idle promises. He keeps his word. And he's going to, he's referring to that, and he uses the term here, the partial hardening that's happened to Israel. You're right. Some of my brethren have rejected the Lord and what he said. I didn't, though. And I know a whole bunch of my Jewish brethren and my Israelite brethren that have not rejected the Lord. But there is a partial hardening that's come upon all of Israel. Not my heart, though. And not my heart of my fellow Messianic Jews or Messianic brethren. We've turned our hearts to the Lord. But there is a partial hardening. And then he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Now, that's where churchmen kind of get start chasing their tail. What exactly does it mean, the fullness of the Gentiles? Well, let me give you a straightforward, simple definition. The fullness of the Gentiles is when Israel is scattered in the nations. When we're scattered in the nations, we're subject to the Gentiles. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes, that means the end of the exile comes, then God is going to do something incredible. When the exile is over with, here's what God is going to do. Verse 26, And thus all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God has said he's going to save Jacob. He's going to save all. Now, what when we use the word saved here, most Christians only have one definition for the word saved. You know, it's that preacher who got up there and preached for about 20, 25 minutes, and he said, now you need to come forward and get saved. 
And we call that salvation from sin and accepting Jesus and so forth. That's not what the word saved there means. The word saved there means is the same way that it meant to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. When you escape from your enemies and you get to just be with the Lord, that was what salvation was. In the story of redemption in the Egyptian Exodus, you remember the blood on the, uh, the blood of the land over the dale? It was the firstborn who were delivered. It wasn't all of Israel. It wasn't all the people who were in Egypt. It was the firstborn that were passed over. But then all of them came out and they crossed the Red Sea and they were saved from the Egyptians and his chariots. There's a slight difference in explaining things of redemption to salvation. When I'm in this world, and let's say the Great Tribulation comes, I'm already redeemed. I already know the Lord. I've called upon the name of the Lord, but I'm going to want God to save me from the days I'm living in. And that's a slightly different definition for when I came to know God and believed in his promises, and I received the redemption the Messiah has given me. That's slightly different. And that is what he's referring to here at the end of the ages. He's talking about all Israel's going to be saved because we're going to have another exodus. And they're going to be saved just like they were saved when they came out of Egypt. Now, this is very perplexing because, as I said for churchmen, you will not hear churchmen ever talk in eschatology about there's going to be another exodus. Prophets say so. Moses alluded to it. There's going to be a whole thing coming back. Instead, we have people who've decided to say, well, Israel that's over there right now, it's just a bunch of Jews. That's all Israel is. No, that's not true. That's the house of Judah. The house of Israel is still in the nations. By the way, the house of Israel is far greater than the house of Judah. Ephraim is the big one. And that's the house of Ephraim that's scattered in the nations. If you go to religious Jews and you sit down and tell and ask them, now tell me about your belief in the coming of the Messiah. You don't believe he's come yet. Tell me what you believe when the Messiah is going to come. Here's what he's going to say. The reason I don't believe that Jesus, that you believe in, is the Messiah is because he did not bring the scattered exiles of Israel back to the land. Did you hear what I just said? See, they know the prophecy that the Messiah that they're going to believe in is the one who brings all of the people back. The part they didn't quite understand in those days, the part they don't, is not all Israel was scattered in the nations yet. The house of Judah was still sitting in the land. They didn't get scattered until after the work of the Messiah. And by the way, he came to do the work of redemption, not the work of restoration at that time. The prophecies of the end are not the prophecies of the Messiah doing redemption. They're the prophecies of him doing restoration, restoring the whole house of Jacob back to the land which is called the kingdom of God. So when they're talking about what they're expecting, you know what they're expecting? Another Exodus. And they're expecting the Messiah to lead it. 
In fact, they say it this way. When the house of Ephraim, when B'nai Ephraim, the sons of Ephraim, come back, they will tell us who the Messiah is because the Messiah will be the one leading them back. So one of the things I've, in the course of my ministry, meeting some of my Jewish brethren, I've posed the question, what are you going to do if you see B'nai Ephraim returning? You see this, these prophecies happening. And he says, it was Jesus of Nazareth that's leading me back. What are you going to do then? When he said, well, I'll deal with that when that happens. You see, the Jews <laughs> who don't believe in Jesus actually know what the end time prophecies say better than the Christians. The Christians have got this idea that we're the great and glorious church and God's going to zap us out of here and so forth. You want to talk about being set up for a huge downfall, a huge disappointment. Brethren, let me say something that's going to kind of shock you. I'm going to kind of speak forward here. I've, I know a lot of brethren. I understand some of the concepts. I know what the prophecies say here. I know what the Christians teach. I foresee a day coming not too long from now in which that we're going to see the prophecies of the great tribulation begin. Everybody will know, hey, this is the great tribulation. This is what he was talking about, what Yeshua talked about in Matthew 24. And what Paul in the book of Revelation saw, that these things are happening. Oh my gosh, we haven't had the rapture yet. Nobody got, nobody's gotten raptured out of here. We're all here still. You know what a lot of my Christian friends are going to do? They're going to quit the faith. They're going to give up. They're going to say, I don't want to believe in any of this. It's too much, too difficult. I don't want to do this. The prophecy says there will be a great falling away. And you know what the mistake was? They listened to a bunch of men who falsely taught this book. They claimed to be believers and they falsely taught what Moses said. And as a result, they missed that part about where Moses prophesied what will happen at the end of the ages, about how we're going to turn back to Moses and start to obey his commands, and the Lord is going to gather us up from all the nations and bring us back. I'm a Messianic teacher. I am teaching you about turn back to Moses, learn the commands of the Lord, and learn what God's plan is for the end of the ages. And be a part of Israel and be a part of God's plan and his great prophecy of restoring all things to himself. And I will tell you, that is vastly different than what you're going to hear from a Christian teacher. In fact, he has no idea what I'm talking about. This guy doesn't know anything about what I just said. He's never heard of it before. He couldn't tell you what the greater exodus was if you paid him $10,000. I'm not offering him $10,000, by the way. Brethren, that's our teaching for this week. I hope this is encouraging. I hope you're beginning to grasp and understand. You have got to get your nose into this book. You've got to start paying attention to what the Lord says. And overarching in everything you hear and you read, do not listen 
to what men say about God. Listen to what God says about God. Listen to what God says you should do. Stop listening to the definitions of other men to steer you away from what the Lord has said. And since we're coming to the end of the age, I would urge you and encourage you, you need to do this soon. That's our teaching for this week. Shabbat Shalom to all of you. Thank you, everyone, who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.